I want to read a psalm to start our third service on this topic of the Ten Commandments, especially the fourth command. This is our third week in the fourth commandment, which is, of course, the commandment concerning the Sabbath day. And I want to read Psalm 90, 92. If you would turn there, I'll read this and then we'll pray. When you turn there, notice the heaven or the heading of this psalm. Psalm 92 is a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O God, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Amen. Well, tonight we're going to continue with this study on the Sabbath day command. It's taken from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. It's been uh, Three weeks now, we haven't been together for two Sunday evenings, one because of the weather and one because of our natural break that we take every second Sunday. But hopefully your mind is still with me, and if not, the sermons are online. I'm not going to rehearse all of the arguments that I've been laying forth from this time. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11 says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, I've been arguing from the beginning of this whole Uh, I guess, series on the Ten Commandments, that the Ten Commandments are not a part of, we should not consider them a part of the ceremonial laws or the civil laws of Israel in the Old Testament. They are founded on the nature and character of God and were indeed in creation uh, established so that every creature and every human being from the time of creation onward ought to observe these laws as they are moral laws 
coming from God himself. And the, ten, or the fourth command there is seen in Genesis chapter 2, and that God rested from his labors. Thus it precedes the giving of the law here, and the law as it's given in Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus to the children of Israel. And so I've been resting on that point for the first three and, and also the preceding uh, six commands after this, and I think it's no different with the Sabbath principle. I do believe that Christ corrected many of the wrong uh, actions and the wrong traditions that were taken and observed in relation to the Sabbath law. And I also think that the New Testament uh, means to teach us as Christians that we are not obliged nor required to keep any Jewish tradition in regards to this law, even the keeping of a Saturday Sabbath. There is no requirement whatsoever that continues on for us as Christians to observe any traditional use of this law in regards to the Jewish uh, observance of it. And that's found in Colossians chapter 2. However, I do believe the principle stands, and I've been arguing for that, and I won't labor that argument uh, completely, even for us. For two sermons, I've been arguing that way. But the last time we were together, uh, we considered the text in Exodus. We considered what it had to say about how we ought to employ ourselves on the Sabbath day. The first point that I brought up just for review's sake and just to keep our minds on the topic, the day is a memorial of God's work in creation and in redemption. The uh, account of the Ten Commandments given in Deuteronomy uh, demonstrates that this is also a redemptive uh, aspect. There's a redemptive aspect to this law in that we don't just take account of God's creative power as the psalmist did, but his redemptive power and what he's done to redeem us. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That means keep it separate as a memorial in your mind, and it's a continual memorial. And we've learned from Second Peter, haven't we, recently, how important it is to be reminded of who God is at the core of his creative power and especially in his redemption. Secondly, we consider that we are to observe the Sabbath principle by resting from our employment. And we see that in verses 9 through 10 in Exodus 20. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gate. We consider that this was a law, a principle for the benefit of everyone in society. There was an equality that's built into this law, such that the master doesn't subjugate the slave to work for his earnings on this day. There was a rest that God ordained that everyone have an opportunity to take part in it. Third, it should be a worshipful rest. In verse 11, for in six days... The Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rest on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Remember that when we're taking and when we're observing this day, we shouldn't just observe it in the sense that, oh, I'm going to rest and watch movies all day. 
oh, I'm going to rest and just get away from it all and go to the beach all day. The rest is to be taken, especially by God's people, in observance of God's glory, of his goodness, of his worship. And so he should uh, dominate our minds when we observe this principle. And we also considered last time we were together on which day or which day we shouldn't observe it. And I, I argue that there is no biblical absolute day when, when we must observe this. It's not Saturday or even the Lord's Day. But I also argue that I think from tradition's sake and from historical sake, the church has always observed this day since the New Testament time on the Lord's Day, on the Sunday which Christ rose on Sunday, demonstrating that his works of redemption were finished. And I think it's a wonderful thing that we do meet on the Lord's Day in that uh, vein, in that tradition. But if we were ever forced to, to observe it on another day, I don't think we should ever uh, concern ourselves that we weren't truly observing the spirit of this principle. And we considered what we're permitted to do on the Sabbath day. And I'll run through those briefly. We are permitted to do works of love, always. Christ taught that always the Christian is permitted to demonstrate works of love to those who are in need, merciful works. We can tend to emergency. If your cow is in the ditch, you're allowed to pull your cow out. If your car is in the ditch, you're allowed to work on it and fix it. You are to tend to emergencies. You are able to. I'm even allowed to minister on the Sabbath day which is helpful. It's Matthew 12, 5 says Jesus, Jesus said that the, the priests profaned the Sabbath day. He doesn't mean that they acted in some egregious sin, but he means that they put an effort. And I have to concur with that. Sa Sunday after I get home, usually I get home, and the world is spinning. <laughs> and I don't know how I've ever made it through a Sunday because I'm tired. It's for me a day where I put myself to the task and sometimes I don't even go home. I just like to keep my mind focused on these things and I really enjoy it. Even though it's labor, it's still in many ways a rest for me. And fourth, we consider, we consider that we are able to provide for our basic needs on, on the Lord's day. Luke 6, 1 through 5, Jesus speaks about that. But I also qualified that, is that that's on an exceptional basis. When Jesus is walking through the fields with his disciples, and they're hungry, and they're going to eat food that they need, that's okay. But if you have your cupboards full at home, and you just decide, hey, you know, I want to go hang out at Walmart, which I don't know why anybody would want to do that, because I was there this Sunday afternoon, which is going to come up later. I was there on an emergency run to get my eye dropped so I don't go blind. And there, it was, I've never seen it so full, except for the holidays. I, why are people here? Don't they know they can have a day off? Don't they know? And I think probably if we were to do some kind of poll, 60 or 70% of the people in there would probably be professing Christians. And I would want to say to them, you can take a day off from Walmart. Sometimes we have to go there. I was there. And uh, 
Anyway, we'll get into more of that later. God's commandments are not grievous. That's one thing that we have to remember. So we should not apply torture techniques to them. We should not make traditions that make observing the Sabbath principle hard, harder than what God intended. When Christ teaches on it, and I won't belabor this point much longer, he frees us from so many wrong conclusions from the day. Free to show works of love, works of mercy. Free to, to see to emergencies. We're free to even work if that's necessary. Some people work in the healthcare system and they don't get days off. My, my wife's mom is a nurse. Sometimes she has to work Sunday. Sometimes even the, the normal laborer has to work on emergency. Sometimes we're employed by others and they tell us when we work and we don't get to say when we work. But as a principle that's laid down for us, we should strive and we should, we should put an effort in order to take that day off. Jesus says it was created for us, not us for it. It's for our good. Well, tonight I want to consider the negative aspect. We've been doing that with these commands, the positive aspect of it and the negative aspect. What is forbidden in the principle? And I'm just going to go right into this. First of all, and this will be very practical. Um, As we've already worked through Exodus 20, I'm not going to work through a lot of scripture tonight. I just want to bring some observations to your mind. What is forbidden in this principle? First of all, that we willfully leave it off. Meaning that if we have the opportunity to observe it or not observe the day, if it's in our power to do so, we should observe it. We should seek to observe it as a day of rest. How could we willfully leave it off for, for monetary gain? This doesn't include the idea what is, of what, doing what is needful to survive, nor what is required of you as an employee, one who is under the authority of another. But if we leave off the observance of this day for the sake of mere economic gain, what does that say about God's place of reverence if we're concerned with obeying his commands out of a heart of love in our not observing of the day? Remember this, is that God gave us six days to work. That's a lot compared to one. Six to one. Who's the mathematician in here? Who can tell us the percentage there? Huh? 16%. He says you get the rest. 84, right? Thank you. 84% is yours to work for money and for everything that you need. And I want 16. The creator of the ends of the earth. Your Redeemer. So if you have a choice in the matter, is that not worth your pursuing that? I'm speaking to the choir. I realize that in many ways on a Sunday evening here. But I want to rest your hearts in the joy of observing this principle. God does not do this to take away our income, take away our benefits. 
We are far more benefited by taking a day of rest and observing our Heavenly Father and observing our Lord Jesus Christ than if we put our nose to the grindstone every day of the week for things that are passing away. It gives us a context of what truly matters, doesn't it? This principle, as I've said, is a way of testing our value system. Even though it's one day of the week. What can be said about someone who calls themselves a Christian, but won't leave to the gain of their soul one day out of the week, but instead pursues the things that are passing away? Where is their treasure laid up in, in anyways? It has a very peculiar way of defining, defining in us what matters. 16% of the time is all it takes to do that. Now, I want to be careful, and I, want, I don't want to draw conclusions then that just rush us into judging one another. There may be a time where you are required to work, as I've already said, and we cannot, when that happens, just rush to judgment if we know that happens amongst the church. I think Christ is very clear that that can't be something that we're quick to do. But on the other hand, we need to hold each other accountable if you see in your brother and sister a lack of desire to be here, a lack of willingness to observe a day as unto the Lord, to rest on Him and His finished work for us in creation and in redemption. Second answer as to how we ought not leave off this day is in recreation. Now, as a Hawaiian now, I call myself, this is, in fact, this marks the 11th year that I've been on Hawaii, or Kauai, today. October 15th, I came in 2006. It's a long time ago. Time is moving fast. But it's religious for us to recreate. Isn't that true in Hawaii? Some people ask me, what's hard to minister to? What's a hard... Uh, besetting weight, if you will, to minister to, to people in Hawaii. And I would say that recreation is one of them. It's not necessarily a sin all by itself, but it can become a besetting weight in the Christian life. As a church that receives many visitors from other places, we have some tonight from Hilo, it serves us to be reminded that on the Lord's Day, what else, whatever else we're doing, we should make a clear effort to observe the day unto the Lord wherever we are. When we go on vacation, do you consider that you should be in the house of the Lord? That you should observe a day even while you're resting? <laughs> even while you're resting in your recreating and your vacation, you should still observe a day of rest because rest and recreation are not exactly the same. I don't know about you, but when I go on vacation, I come home usually more tired than otherwise. You lose sleep, you lose your schedule, the normal uh, way that you go about your life, and that's comfortable to me, anyway. Other people are different, my wife would attest. I'm fairly hard-headed when it comes to taking vacation myself. Someone might object and say something like this, but I never have time for my family. I work six days a week, and I need time for my family or myself. 
And I just want you to, to listen to what you're saying. I want you to be careful when you hear those statements or you make them, even if you make them in your heart, you don't make them out loud. That you don't mean by that that your family or your own desire for vacation trumps God's right to be worshipped 16% of the days he's given you. You say, well, that's every week. <laughs> Can't I just miss one week? I'm not going to belabor the point too deeply. But we're talking about God. We're not talking about your mom or your father, the president, King George, any figure that you feel is great in the history of the world. We're talking about God. And I just have to stress that he is worth it. Not because it's grievous that he's worth it, and we just have to restrain ourselves from all the fun things we want to do, but because worship is what we were made for. It's what settles us as creatures. He's made us to respond to him. We are restless, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. Augustine said that, not me. I don't view this principle as a way of doing, or as a means of doing away with all forms of recreation. There are some Sabbatarians that say no recreation should be done on the Lord's day. I think that there is enough freedom in the Christian's life to recreate while you observe and are thankful and worship God. But I don't think that the willful leaving off of the assembly of God, that, that assembly of worship should be maintained and recreation should hold a second seat to it. And so don't think that I'm just saying that recreation is evil. But I think especially in Kauai, we need to take account of the fact that recreation can serve as an idol very easily here. My children can go outside every day, seven days of the week. In Montana, where I grew up, if you go outside during certain times of the year, you'll die. Just because you walked outside. Jim knows. He was in Minnesota last year. That's a little bit. I'm stretching that just a little bit. Uh, you won't necessarily die just by walking outside. My parents were married in 43 below zero weather in December. And they lived, so... I don't know how anymore. I've been here 11 years. I forget how that works. Do you look forward to the Lord's Day? Do you look forward to this day where we come and we are under the preaching of the word and we sing praises to God together, that we edify and are edified by one another? We exercise our spiritual gifts. Do you look forward to that? Is that not, in a sense, rest to you? You know, I'm a, I'm a parent myself. And I think the best thing for my children is that they see consistency in my love for God. That is the best thing for 
all of us is that we demonstrate a consistency that we love God. The worst thing that we can do for our children, our neighbors, those who see us, who know us, apart from being an unbeliever, is to be an inconsistent Christian. And this does not mean, again, that there's not a time to attend a family matter. There are even family emergencies. There are important family meals, I think, as Christians. You, you know, recently there's someone in this church who is the lone Christian in his family of unbelievers. And it was his birthday, and he said, you know, should I go to lunch with them? They want to take me uh, to a birthday lunch on the Lord's Day. And I'm thinking, should I go with them? And I said, yes, you should go. This is how you minister to your family. You know, when they want to do something nice for you, you show love to them. Yes, you should be here, tell them I'm going after service, but you should go with them. I don't believe the Lord's Day was made so that it could wrench families apart, asunder. Even though I think if there's an opportunity to make a declaration that I'm a Christian, I attend and I observe the Lord's Day to please God. And, and if your family doesn't like it, there's a sense where that's that division that Christ creates, that natural division. But if there's an emergency, if there's something you need to tend to for the sake of love for your family, there's freedom there to do so. I've been talking about recreation a lot, but I don't think there's ever been a time, and I'm serious, that recreation has dominated so much of our lives. We've been in a period of peace for a long time in this country, and that tends to put you at ease. I've never lived in a place where you could recreate so much and where recreation is so dominant. And this, I just want to make this point. Therefore, it's a declaration, isn't it? That when you refuse, and when you say, I could recreate on my day off, and you say, the way that I'm going to rest is by observing and worshiping God. That makes a huge statement. And it's not like we do and we obey God's commands just to make statements. But we are to be holy even as he is holy. And just by virtue of our obedience to God, we are distinguished from society. We don't have to flaunt it. We don't have to wear special white suits in order to be seen going into church on Sunday. We just need to be faithful and people will see that light and perhaps give glory to our God, our Father who is in heaven. Third, we could even tend to leave this day off if our hearts are far from God, even though we observe it. So it's possible that we come here like this. Ooh, another day that I got to go to church. I, I went to church growing up many times like that. I have to come to church because I'm, you know, with my parents who go to church. My dad is a pastor. And there are times when even when we're here, we're not observing rest. There is an obligation, I think, that when we think of this command, that we remember to prepare. The Puritans said we ought to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Day. You know, one thing I've tried to do is keep Saturday evenings somewhat peaceful. 
so that I can prepare that tomorrow I'm observing a day unto the Lord. And also to prepare beforehand for things that I can get out of the way. And so I don't feel like it's so urgent to do all of these little things on Sunday. These errands or whatever. It seems to be a perpetual sin even amongst those who outwardly declare to be God's people. In Scripture, in Isaiah 29, 13, it says, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. And Jesus picks this up in Matthew 15, 3 through 9, 700 years later. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and, whatever, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, here we are talking about the commandments of God, but the danger is equally here for us. For we are not merely in danger of hypocrisy, as Jesus is pointing out, if we come here without our hearts being established or our hearts being happy or willing or needful to be here. We're not talking about our zeal for traditions. We're talking about an inward hypocrisy. One that God sees while everybody else may not see it. And God says it's as if you were disobeying me if that happens. And that doesn't mean it only, that we're only required to obey when it feels good, by the way. But it does mean that we should strive, we should put in effort, we should pray, we should repent if our hearts are far from God, if we lament coming to the house of the Lord and observing this day as unto the Lord. It does mean that if we have no joy even in this day, that we ought to seek an answer. Why? What is hindering me from experiencing joy in my observation of this day? Again, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. Here you are on a Sunday evening where it's far from tradition on Kauai to come to a Sunday evening service. You're here. And I hope you're here because you want to be here. Because you enjoy the word of God and you want to be under the preaching and you want to be molded by it. Let me just move a little bit in a direction you might not expect here. I want to talk a little bit about traditions, but in a, a different way than Jesus does. And it'll be brief, and, and I don't have much more time here. But just because something is a tradition does not mean by virtue of it being a tradition, it's sinful. The Lord's Day observation of this day is, in fact, a tradition. It's never declared that we must do it in Scripture. That doesn't mean this is evil. But Jesus in Matthew 15 was addressing the exchange, listen, 
the exchange of God's commandments for traditions. And that kind of legalism is never right, nor is it ever warranted. But whereas we usually think of negative traditions as that which adds to Scripture and eventually replace it, we also need to be careful not to take away abiding scriptural commands and in their place put what I call cultural traditions. And what I mean by this is something that David Wells speaks about in his book, No Place for Truth, and other, other books of that same sense, where he talks about the Christian in this culture being so pervaded by an unchristian culture that now we've replaced the commands of God for the traditions of a secular and socially corrupt culture. Often in society, acceptable norms become traditional norms. But we live in a fallen society. This is not a Christian society. Therefore, it's easy to feel comfortable just following along with the cultural norms. If those traditional morals come short of keeping the commands of God, they must too be rejected. So whereas legalism, the exchange of God's law for the commands of men, is rightly rejected, so too must we reject any moral tradition that comes short of God's commands and therefore tend to antinomianism. There's that big fancy word that means against the law means it tends to lawlessness, where we don't consider the commands of God. We consider that it's just comfortable swimming downstream. I don't know if any weight, cultural weight, any more cultural weight could be moving us away from any one of God's commandments but this. It's not okay to murder. It's not okay to steal. It's not okay to lie. It's not okay to, to, to all of those things. In the law books, it's not okay for those things. Adultery and those things, that's even being defended now in this culture. But there is pressure on you not to care about this day out there. There's pressure from you even within the church not to care about this day. There's pressure to have a tradition on Super Bowl Sunday to cancel services so that you can watch a football game. God doesn't get that 16% that day. We got to watch a football game. Now, if you go to church and you watch that football game, we can talk about that. We can discuss that. But if you cancel church to do that, you have created in the place of God's command a cultural tradition. And you are equally falling short of God's word, just as Jesus condemned the Pharisees of doing it, just in a different sense. You're just following tradition. We need to be opposed to any tradition that would reject the commands of God, whether it's legalism or whether it's antinomianism. So the summarizing principle is this, to be consistent with this law, to demonstrate our love for Christ and consistency with it, we ought to consider that unless there are necessary outside influences that keep us from observing the Sabbath principle of rest and worship, 
we will keep the day unto the Lord. There is, there is a very dark world right now. Our society is very dark. When you obey God's commands out of love, not to gain righteousness, we know that's not what this is about, but because we have been attained for this end, for by grace you saved through faith and that not of yourself, it is a gift, it's all a gift, but we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which he hath beforehand ordained that we should walk in them. That makes a statement that we are no longer children of darkness, but we are rather children of light. And we are walking as children of light. There is a distinction. John 5.3 says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. If any command, I believe, wears on the Christian as grievous because of outside influences and even teachings from within the church, I believe it's this command. And I just want to affirm, I just want to prayerfully affirm in your heart and in my heart that we never see this command as grievous. But such as it was meant to be, recognize as Jesus says that we that it was created for us, for our good, for our benefit. Thus, the observance of it is good for us. God intends it to be that. The next time that we're together, I want to look at some examples of the misuse of this day in the Old Testament and what that led Israel to. We're going to be careful not to say we have to observe all the traditional misuses or uses that they were to do, but we want to see what happens when they left off this principle. And then I want to also consider the future aspect of this command. You know there's a future rest spoken of in Scripture that corresponds to this law, this Sabbath rest, Hebrews 3, Hebrews 4. And we'll consider those next time we're together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this law. I pray that we would be bound to your word and not to the cultural norms and not to the traditions of men. Help us to be persuaded by your word on this issue. And help us to be faithful to it. Help us to repent of our low view of it, if we indeed have one. And develop in us a Christian conscience by your word that teaches us to rejoice in our observance of this day, not to despise it. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.